Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Mary. We've been moving through this uh, sermon series in Advent, looking at various figures in the uh, Christmas story, starting with Zechariah, who uh, is the father of John the Baptist. Zechariah having an encounter with an angel, and then last week looking at Matthew and kind of suggesting that Matthew's version of the Christmas story is a little bit awkward. A little bit awkward when you just look at Matthew's, just consider Matthew's because it's all about Joseph. There's no shepherds, there's no Mary even, other than this kind of side figure that creates a problem for Joseph, a problem for Joseph, you know, when your uh, wife-to-be is all of a sudden pregnant, it's kind of a problem, as long as you're not the father, it's a, you see what I'm saying there, it's a problem, How that? okay, anyway, it's a little bit of a problem in Matthew's story with the Joseph story, and today we're going to get to Mary, to Mary. Uh, that's what was read at the beginning. If you recognize the song or uh, some of the words, uh, that very first song we sang this morning was uh, from Mary's song, what we call the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord, Mary's song. We're not going to quite get to Mary's song this morning and what we're doing, uh, but really want to look at the figure of Mary, who she is, what we can learn about what it means to follow Jesus by looking at Mary, by looking at Mary. I ran across an interesting quote, an interesting quote that said, while Protestants have criticized Catholics for coming close to ascribing to Mary the lead role in God's salvation drama, Protestants could be accused of making her into a prop. Ouch. But we can be thankful, this author said, that Luke's witness, the witness that we find in Luke 1, 26 through 38, if you want to look at that, that's what was read during the, the lighting of the Advent candles here. Luke 1, starting in verse 26, he says that this stands as a corrective. That if we're actually to go to the text, which is always a good idea, when you're conjecturing about things and you're thinking about how much of this is just tradition and just opinion and just things, it's always a good idea as followers of Jesus to go to the text and see what do we actually have? What does the text really say about Mary? And I think this author is right. We have this spectrum where on one hand we can kind of deify Mary, make her into a saint, make her into almost a goddess, uh, it was news to me a few years back in my church in Washington, or in the city I lived in in Washington, there was a, a, a Catholic church called Immaculate Conception. And Immaculate Conception, if you're not familiar with theology, which I was not apparently familiar enough with Catholic theology, they didn't teach us this stuff in seminary. I was talking to somebody, I was like, oh, Immaculate Conception, that's kind of cool. I bet they like go big on Christmas because Christmas is the Immaculate Conception. And somebody was like, you know that... What they're referring to is Mary's Immaculate Conception. Did you know this? Did you know this? That actually in Catholic doctrine, there is an idea that for Mary to actually carry Jesus, who is God in the flesh, she too had to be sinless. Now, again, not in the text. But it's a jump that some folks have made, and it's an interesting thing on the spectrum then, where you go to Mary, almost a goddess herself, or the other side of the spectrum, which I fear too often we have done in the Protestant tradition, which is, Mary's not that significant, let's just get to Jesus. And we look past Mary, we overlook her. 
And the interesting thing is, in the text, Mary sings this song, and in her song, you can find this uh, starting in verse 46 of Luke chapter 1, in it, she says this in verse 48. I think this is very interesting. She says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So I think we do need a corrective here. If for, for generations to come, people will say, Mary is blessed, Mary is favored, as the angel says to her, greetings, highly favored one. Then there is something, to quote the title of an old 90s movie, there is something about Mary. There's something, now, I'm not going to reference that movie again, so don't get too excited. Because that movie has nothing to do with the Christmas story and is highly inappropriate for church. You couldn't even show that at youth group. You'd get fired or you'd, you know. But there's something significant about her. There's something in the text where she's saying there's something going on where God is using her. God sees her, says, highly favored one, Mary. And that's what I want to girl, girl in on, uh, pin down on, nail down today. What is it about her? That makes her favored. That makes it so that God sees her, chooses Mary. What is going on here? In this Advent season, we've decided to uh, look at these characters in the Bible, these, these stories in the Bible, and to focus on the words that follow fear not. In all of these stories, an angel comes, and the first thing the angel says is, fear not. Now, you could just conjecture that meeting an angel is going to be a frightening experience. Or there's something else going on where the angel's saying, hey, God is up to something. Hang with me. Receive these words. Zechariah is told, fear not, for the Lord has heard your prayers. Joseph is told, fear not, because the baby in Mary was been born of the Holy Spirit. And Mary is told, fear not, you have found favor with God. You have found favor. This is an interesting phrase to unpack. Uh, the second time in this text where this is the word used for Mary. Again, at the very beginning, the angel says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Before we know anything else about Mary, all we know is that she has found favor with God and that God is with her. God is with her. Now, this phrase, finding favor, I realized this week, it's not something we use very much in the English language today. In fact, if anything, we kind of say, don't play favorites. I've coached for over a decade now, and I was a coach's son. And the thing about being a coach's son is that coaches never, you, you hear like, now Chad, this is my dad speaking, I can't play favorites with you, so that always meant he would be harder on me, which was super fun. Really fun, you know, being the brunt of all the criticism at practice. And we got into it a few times, but that's not what I want to talk about. But it's, it's this phrase, finding favorite, we, funny favor, we don't use it, we don't, we don't want to play favorites, we don't, we don't want to even think about the fact that God somehow saw this person was like, she's the best! That kind of messes with our theology, but something's going on here where clearly 
Clearly, there's something about Mary. There's something going on in who she is that God sees her, recognizes her, sends the angel to her, and chooses Mary. Why? Why? And it's hard because, again, if we just go with the text, we don't even have the phrase that showed up in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the story of Joseph. In those two stories, what we heard was Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous people. Joseph was a God-fearing, law-abiding Jew, a righteous man. We don't hear that about Mary. We don't get this kind of family background either. We know that she's connected to Elizabeth and Zechariah. So she's probably part of the priestly class as well, but we don't get the sense that, you know, her dad was a big wig at the temple or something, and so she's, a, she's in line for this kind of a thing. We don't get any of that. So it's all just conjecturing. What is it about Mary? Why would she get chosen? Was she, was she more holy? Was she more reverent, more religious than her peers or other family members? Why did God choose Mary? All we know is that God sees her, and, and says she's favored, blessed. God is with her. God is with her. It kind of reminds me, when I think about this, that there's, there's some, some people, especially in Old Testament stories, and I just have to admit, I love Old Testament stories. And there's something about in the Old Testament where people have these strange relationships with God that don't unfold in the way that we today expect things to unfold. It's as if people are just walking with God naturally. They have like an innate spiritual quality about them where they just connect with the divine. I think of Joseph, who it seems like Joseph just has some like, for lack of a better metaphor, spiritual antennae. He has this spiritual antennae where he gets these dreams that freak his brothers out and, and freak his dad out, but he's getting these dreams and visions from God, and he's able to tell people about them, and God has a plan, and it freaks everybody else out. Because Joseph has this kind of special relationship with God, some sort of special antennae. If you remember the Joseph story, I'll just in a, in a, briefly in a nutshell unpack it. He, he's sold into prison, or it's sold into slavery, and when he goes into slavery in Egypt, you're just thinking everywhere along the line, the story gets worse. And everywhere along the line, somehow God is with Joseph and it all works out. He gets sold into Potiphar's house and Potiphar recognizes that there's something about Joseph and makes him in charge of the whole house. Potiphar's wife tries to get busy with Joseph. Joseph says, no, the whole plot goes bad and haywire. He gets thrown into prison. And the text says in Genesis 39, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Similar to what we hear about Mary. The Lord is with you. The jailer showed him kindness, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. These Old Testament characters like Daniel, even Esther, these folks that have this spiritual antennae, this connection with God, where God is just with them. And you can't explain it. You can't go, because they did these formulaic things so that God would be with them. God is just with them. Their spiritual antennae is up. They have a connection. And I wonder, is that what's going on 
with Mary. She just has this natural relationship with the Lord. And so God sees her and says, oh, I choose her. I don't know. That's a bit of conjecturing. It's not exactly there in the text. But is that what's going on? Because she seems, it's interesting that the angel would say, highly favored one, and then say, the Lord is with you. And it's like she knows it. Yeah, he is. I've felt that my whole life. And the reason I would suggest that, the reason I would suggest that is because there is one thing that the text continues to point to. When we ask the question, what is it about Mary? The text continues to point to one thing that makes her kind of stand above the rest. And it's a thing, thankfully, that any and all of us can also do. That one thing, that one thing that she does is she shows herself to be a willing participant in God's plan. She says yes. She says yes. And it's not a throwaway thing. She says yes to something that's a big ask. The text points to it. She's engaged to Joseph. To Joseph. She knows that. We saw that last week. Last week we saw that this is a problem. This is a problem if she is to become pregnant. If she says yes, she, Joseph knows what it means to divorce her. But she also, as a good Jewish young woman, would know what it means being pledged to be married, basically being all but married to another man, to say yes to what God is asking her to do. There are big, big ramifications for her to say yes It's interesting, some commentators have thought maybe in this moment, overwhelmed by the fact that there's this angel, maybe she forgot that she was pledged to be married to Joseph. Maybe she just was so overwhelmed that she thought like, oh my gosh, this is the most wonderful thing. But again, it would take so much to say yes to this kind of ask. Because what if, as we talked about last week, what if Joseph would have said, yeah, no, This is not right. She cheated on me, obviously, and nobody believed her, and the consequences could have been death. In spite of that, Mary says yes. Mary shows that what makes her highly favored, the reason we will call her blessed for generations to come, is because she was willing to participate in God's plan. To use a tired baseball metaphor, she was willing to step up to the plate, to answer the call, the challenge, and say, yes, yes. What's fascinating about that uh, in her song where she says, from now on all generations will call me blessed, the next line is, for the mighty one has done great things for me. What's fascinating about that is it's not flipped to all generations will call me blessed because I did great things for the mighty one. No, they'll call me blessed because God has done something in and through me. See, I think that this is why Mary was considered highly favored. This is why Mary was chosen, was considered blessed, is because she said, yes, God, I believe you can do something in and through even a person like me. You can do big things, God, through teenage girls like Mary. 
And so the Lord sees her, calls her blessed. According to one of Martin Luther's biographers, Luther saw that there were three miracles in Christ's nativity in the Christmas story. He said the first is obviously God became human. The second is a virgin conceived. And the third, he said, and he believed was the greatest, was that Mary believed it could happen. She said yes. Again, no small thing. For somebody to hear, you're going to have a baby through the Holy Spirit and go, yeah, sure. No, yes, God can do great things through me. And so the Lord says, highly favored. And Mary says, all generations will consider me blessed because of what God did through me. What God is doing in the world through me. If you're still a bit skeptical as to uh, this being the case, if you're like, nah, I don't know about that, Pastor Chad. I don't know if that's why she was chosen. I don't know if that's what makes her blessed. Consider this. Mary shows up two other times in the Gospel of Luke. Two other times. Once in Luke chapter 8. This is a great story. This is where Jesus is in a crowded room, a crowded space. He's teaching to a bunch of people. And the text says that Mary and Jesus' brothers, they show up. Now in Mark, it says they think he's out of his mind. And they've come to get him. Luke doesn't point to that, but says they've shown up. And they want to talk to their, their son, their brother. And so the word travels through the disciples, and it finally gets up to Jesus, you know, and I don't know who it is who's like tapping Jesus on the shoulder like, hey, uh, by the way, I know you're mid-teaching and you're a pretty important guy, but listen, your mom and your brothers are out there. And Jesus, being Jesus, says this very fascinating thing. He says, oh, my mother and my brothers, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. See, His family wasn't commended because they were his family. It's like, oh gosh, my brother and my brothers, I better drop everything and go talk to them. He he frames it in a different way. If you want to be in kinship, in family with Jesus, tight with Jesus, hanging out with Jesus, uh, have Jesus be your homeboy, you hear the word of God and you do it. That's what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be in relationship with Jesus, in sync with Jesus, is to hear the word of God and do it. The second time, the second time Mary is mentioned is in Luke 11. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus again is teaching to a crowd, and someone in the crowd decides to shout out, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts that nursed you. So somebody is saying, and this would have been the case in ancient cultures, and we still see this a little bit today, somebody is looking at what Jesus is doing and saying, your parents must be incredible. You're so incredible, your parents must be incredible, they must have raised you right. Blessed are those people. And any one of us would want to hear that. When your kid's playing amazing out there on the field, you're like, yeah, that's my kid, come on. You want to hear it from the family? Yeah, that's my girl. You bet. Yep, that's my kid. And instead, Jesus, he flips this. He flips this, right? And he says, blessed rather. It's like he, I don't know, he's not dissing his mom here. Don't, don't get me wrong. But he says, blessed rather are those who hear God's word and obey it. Again, similar language. 
You want to be blessed. You want to be recognized by God. You want to be highly favored. You want to go, hey, Jesus, your mother and brothers are here. Jesus, your mom must have been the greatest. And Jesus says, yeah, if you want to be blessed, here's the deal. Hear God's word and obey it. Put it into practice. You know, he might be saying, yes, my mother is blessed. He's not diminishing his mom. He's not saying the faith of his family doesn't matter. But he's saying, if anything, the faith of his family does not come from, doesn't stem from their connection to him. It stems from their own ability to hear God's word and put it into action. And the same is true for each and every one of us. Our ability, our ability to follow God, to be considered blessed, favored by God, doesn't stem from our ability to be connected to the right people, even the right family line. Oh, my family's always been Christians. It it stems from our ability as individuals to hear the word of God, hear the word of God and put it into action. Like Mary did. Like Mary did. See, the truth is that Mary, by these standards, she's not a goddess. It's not what the text indicates. And she's not just a prop. Just like, oh, God had to figure something out, so he used her. She's not a goddess. She's not a prop. If anything, the text seems to point to Mary being, at the very beginning of Luke's gospel, a sort of model Christian. A model follower of Jesus before anyone knew what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And she models for us a willingness to say, yes, God, you are going to do something in this world. I believe it. I believe it, God. You're doing something in this world, and I choose to participate in it. Yes, God, use me. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And is this not the heart of Christian discipleship? Exhibiting each and every day of our lives a willingness to say, yes, God, I am your servant. What do you got for me today? Yes, God, I am your servant. What do you have for me today? Isn't that what it means to follow Jesus? Saying yes every day to the will of God, to God's plan in this world, to participating in what God is up to. I mean, Mary at this point, there's nothing else that makes her highly favored or blessed. We don't, it doesn't indicate that she's extremely smart. She has all kinds of possessions and wealth and all of these things. She just indicates that she is willing to participate. Yes, God, use me. Oh, highly favored one. All generations will call you blessed because God did things through you. Again, not because I did great things for God. In one particular interesting article as we think about what does this look like for us. One article I read, a scholar referred to this as a vocation of obedience. A vocation of obedience. Now, vocation, sometimes we've lost this word. It's not so much, vocation isn't necessarily just about job or work or career line. Vocation probably is closer to calling. 
your calling in life, where you feel called, where you have been given gifts, you have been given abilities, talents, God has wired you a certain way, and your calling is where you take those wirings, those gifts, and you put them into action in the world. And hopefully, the the hope, the desire for us when we think about human flourishing is that each and every one of us would find that calling in our work life, in our family life, in our relationships, we would be able to operate out of our gifts. That is the desire. That's the hope. Because that's when, uh, the, as, as the phrase goes, you know, you, 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 uh, you don't necessarily go to work. You, just, you enjoy going to work. You know what I'm saying? You enjoy going to work when those things match up. And so this person talks about a vocation of obedience, a calling as followers of Christ to obey, to obedience. And he takes it a step further. And, and I want to uh, kind of tell you that this was hard for me to understand at first because what he starts to talk about and what he starts to say is that it's possible we've overlooked Mary. It's possible we've overlooked Mary because the miracle that happens in her and the way she says, I am willing to be a part of God's plan happens through pregnancy. And there's at least half of us that cannot relate to what it means to be pregnant. At least half of us. And so there's something about it, this author was saying, that it's possible for a lot of us to consider this kind of vocation of obedience as saying yes to God and looking at Mary as the model ideal Christian is hard for us because it deals with pregnancy. And if you're at all like me, and you're around a group of women that maybe somebody has like recently had a baby or is about to have a baby and they start chit-chatting about what childbirth was like and pregnancy was like and breastfeeding is like, you just walk away. <laughs> you don't need to hear about that. All right? If you're like me. And so it might be hard, if you're like me, to look at a story like Mary and go, this is awesome, she participated with God, but the whole pregnancy thing, I don't know that I want to talk much more about that. There was an interesting metaphor this guy used in this article about the vocation of obedience. An interesting metaphor, and that is, he said, a vocation of obedience always takes certain shapes of pregnancy. And I was like, all right, buddy, where are you going with this? I don't know. The rest of this article was pretty solid. Now, where are you going with this pregnancy metaphor? He said, theology takes place in a state of willingness. And by theology here, he was really saying theology isn't just about the things we think about God. If it just, just stays at this level of things we think about, but aren't things we put into action, it's not true theology. True theology, what we think about God and understand about God, causes us to act. Changes the way we relate to people in the world. And so it's important. I just heard somebody say... Uh, It's actually Father Greg Boyle, who runs Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles, works with gang members. It's a fascinating uh, uh, interview. He said, um, we imitate the God we believe in. I thought that was really interesting. So so the, the God you believe in, the way that you understand who God is, if then you believe you are to imitate him, that can show up in interesting ways. And so good theology, good thinking, informing our minds about who God is will actually form the way we act in the world. So it's not just a thought. It's not just a thought experiment when we come to church. I have to think the right things and believe the right things. The reality is the things we think, oh, the things you will think, 
will actually inform your behaviors, your actions, the way you interact with the world. At least that's the goal of good theology. That's the goal of good Bible reading, good Bible scholarship, is that it gets us to actually practice these things in the world. It gets us to be like Mary and say, yes, God, I believe the Mighty One wants to do good things through me. So theology takes place in a state of willingness, vocation of obedience. Stick with me here takes certain shapes of pregnancy. And then he starts to say the pregnancy of discipleship. And I was like, what? That doesn't work for half of us. Half of us can't be pregnant. What are you talking about? But the more I thought about it, I actually loved what this guy was saying because pregnancy is about anticipation of new life being born. And so what if all of us considered with the gifts, the talents, the way God has wired us, the things that are in us, what if we each and every one of us anticipated that God wants to birth things through us in this world, to bring beauty, to bring life, to bring love to our relationships with everybody we interact with? What if? What if each and every one of us, I remember being in seminary, And for the first time, I heard people use this word pregnancy outside of women being pregnant. And it was my seminary professors, and I didn't really like it at first, and then I came to love it. They would say, this text is pregnant with possibilities. I'd be like, what does that mean? I don't like it. I don't want to talk about pregnancy. At the time, I was like 23 and wasn't thinking about pregnancy. But this is is just... Yes, Lord. No. But they would say... Is that me? All right. So they would say that, that texts were pregnant with possibilities, pregnant with, uh, that our lives are pregnant with opportunities. And I think that's a beautiful image. That's what the pregnancy of discipleship is. It's that you and I, our lives... Our lives are pregnant with what God wants to do with us. That's a metaphor. So the men in the room that are like, I don't know about this. It's a metaphor. God wants to use you like he used Mary. He wants to use each and every one of us if we are willing to say, yes, God. I believe you can do great things even through me. Imagine today as we finish the sermon this morning, imagine today that the word of the Lord has come to you. You've heard the angel Gabriel saying, Greetings, highly favored one. Can you hear it? Can you imagine this? Greetings to you. Highly favored one, the Lord is with you. God wants to do great things through you. What are those things? What are those great things God wants to do that he can only do through you? Imagine yourself responding, Here I am, Lord. Here I am, your servant, Let it be with me according to your word. Mary is not a goddess. 
And she's not a prop. She is, after all, the model Christian, a model Christian that we have early on in Luke's gospel. She's willing to listen and obey. She's willing to believe that God is up to something great and that God can and will use her if she is willing to participate. May it be so with us as well. Will you pray with me? God, we think of Mary and Lord, what's true for most of us who have grown up in the Protestant tradition, we have struggled to, to think about a, a proper place for Mary. And each year she shows up in the Christmas story and Lord, it's hard for us to know uh, how much credence to reverence to give to her and Lord, it's, it's somewhat refreshing to think of her not as a goddess and not as just a side character, but as someone, Lord, who can show us what it means to follow you. God, may each and every one of us be like Mary in our willingness to hear the word of God, obey it, God, to participate in what you are doing in saving the world. Lord, help us as we interact with our coworkers, our friends, our family members, our classmates, Help us, God, to represent you well. Lord, help us to consider how we might birth some sort of new life into this world, participating with you. God, we thank you. We thank you for Mary, her willingness to participate, and we ask that it might be the same with us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.